0: Gina Della from Pella. Choose 5 years no interest and 5 months no first payment or 10 year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855 PellaWI.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. If you are of a certain age, you remember 1975. You remember the images of the fall of Saigon. You remember people at the top of the um, U.S. Embassy trying to grab onto helicopters as they, helicopters took people from the roof and flew them out, um, into the China Sea so they could get onto the boats that could come to the United States. You remember the debacle and you remember the United States' commitment that it's never going to happen again. Well, it has happened again. It is happening right now. Afghanistan is Saigon Kabul has fallen it is Saigon there are incredible pictures out there in this case it's not people grabbing onto helicopters it is people grabbing onto airplanes and there's some very troubling photos that appear to be individuals who had kind of grabbed onto the wheel wells of airplanes they've taken off and you can see bodies falling from like a thousand feet it is a complete and total debacle and apparently The man in charge did not see this coming at all. Let's go back to a press conference that Joe Biden had in early July. Now, keep in mind, we're in mid-August. So this is four or five weeks ago. Here are a couple of the comments he made in anticipating the U.S.'s departure from Afghanistan.
1: Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable?
2: No, it is not. Because
0: you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well equipped, as well equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That the jury is still out, but the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely.
2: Okay, th- this, this is July 8th. All right, <laughs> so obviously the president did not see this coming at all, at least with certainly the, the swiftness that that this occurred. Okay, it gets better.
0: I think they have the capacity to be able to sustain the government. We can be value-added, but the Afghans are going to have to be able to do it themselves with the Air Force they have, which are helping them maintain.
2: And then the inevitable comparison okay is is are we looking at another vietnam
0: the taliban is not the north vietnamese army they're not they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the united states from afghanistan
2: well Okay, I guess technically he is correct. These aren't people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in Afghanistan, because the embassy's already been evacuated. These are people falling off of airplanes as they try to climb onto planes at the Afghanistan airport. A complete and total failure. Now, I want to be fair to start this off. Afghanistan has been a problem for 20 years and Joe Biden is not the only one who screwed this up. Just let me give you a little history, then I'm gonna give you my take on this and we're gonna open up the phone lines to get your reactions. First of all, if you wanna understand Afghanistan, a really good popular culture place to start is to go back and watch the Tom Hanks movie called Charlie Wilson's War from a number of years ago. Charlie Wilson was a kind of like gadfly congressman from Texas who was working with the CIA and decided to um keep in mind at the time Russia had invaded Afghanistan and the U.S. wanted to defeat Russia. So what they did is they worked out this way where they would. Provide the U.S. provided this sort of uh, circuitous way to provide freedom fighters in Afghanistan with like these rockets that they use to shoot down Russian helicopters and things like that. And, and the the Charlie Wilson's War movie is actually a very very good depiction of what happened. It's also a very good description of Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Well, it it might not be fair to say it's the Stone Age, but it's as close to the Stone Age as we're going to find nowadays. I mean, it's the Flintstones with, again, um, surface-to-air missiles. It's a very very backward company country it is very very tribal you you have all these different warlords and groups scattered across the, the the country who have been at war with each other for well since there has been an afghanistan the problem the us made in the beginning and this is how the charlie wilson's war ends the movie ends is that after the russians were defeated right after the russians had defeated and left instead of Putting money into the the country and building roads and schools for for just a small investment, if we really wanted to, you know, see if Afghanistan could be turned into a democratic state—a small D democratic—you know, promoting democracy and things of the like. But the U.S. There, there was no interest in that. There was no interest from Republicans. There was no interest from Democrats. We just kind of abandoned it. And what happened is, in Russia's vacuum, you had all the crazies in that part of the world. Who who kind of poured into Afghanistan and started to use it as a staging area. That's why you saw that the Taliban come to power and the Taliban tolerated Al Qaeda, etc. So, you know, we we should have I think recognized an opportunity after the defeat of Russia to to move in and to try to again promote democracy in the region. We did not do that. Failure. All right. So then after nine eleven occurs, you know, President Bush appropriately indicates that, you know, you've got Al Qaeda that is based in large part out of out of Afghanistan. And, you know, we we go out to and the Taliban, which was supporting Al Qaeda. So, you know, we start this this military action in Afghanistan and actually have remarkable success. You know, we we pretty much destroy Al Qaeda pretty quickly and drive certainly drive that the Taliban reduce its power dramatically. But instead of then trying to broker some sort of peace deal uh, with a weakened Taliban and maybe try to integrate them into the mainstream of Afghanistan politics, we, we lost interest. In large part, we lost interest. We got distracted. We took our eye off the ball in Afghanistan, and we, we went into Iraq. That is a failure, in my opinion, of the Bush administration. So you, you've got this ongoing thing. Barack Obama comes along. And despite saying that he wants us to get us out of Afghanistan, he dramatically increases the troop commitment to Afghanistan, forgetting the lesson of Vietnam that you'd have to you, you have to know what your objective is. What are you trying to accomplish when you get in so you know when to get out? So then along comes the Trump administration. Well, Trump wants to get us out, um, but he, he doesn't have a real plan to do that. So he negotiates a peace deal, quote unquote, peace deal with the Taliban, where he excludes the Af- Afghanistan's government, the government until the last moment. So he kind of cuts the knees out from under the Afghanistan government. Then in comes Biden, who hasn't thought we should have been in Afghanistan for the last 15 years. And he accelerates this timetable instead of arranging for an orderly departure where you could make sure you get all your people out and all the people who, for example, helped the U.S. government over the last 15 years and and maybe try to promote some stability instead of trying to do this in an orderly fashion. He says, we're going by this date certain, and then the the whole thing falls apart. So there is a ton of A ton of blame to go around. It's really like, in my opinion, 20 years of missteps. But but at the end of the day... The last six weeks for Joe Biden to say this is not Saigon, the, Afghana, the Afghanistan government can support itself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the, the question becomes, how could you have been so incredibly wrong? Okay, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. A lot of blame to go around, but there's no question what's been going on the last two weeks or so. Th- this is at the footsteps of the Biden administration that by hastening The pullout, instead of trying to do this in an orderly fashion, instead of, for example, um, this is the summertime over there, instead of extending it maybe another six or seven months, keeping U.S. air power there, which would have stopped the rise of the Taliban, you are now looking at a major humanitarian crisis. Our news report talked about women are not on the streets of Kabul because the Taliban is raping them right and left. You know that there is going to be a huge series of murders and assaults as soon as the U.S. presence is gone. It, it's, it's going to be the killing fields all over again. And it could, it could have been averted. Okay. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. And I do also want to say politically, I don't want to overstate this, but these images of what is going on, this, this could be the end of the Biden administration politically two years from now should Joe Biden choose to run again because I guarantee you that these images and it is Saigon Joe Biden can say whatever he wants but this is Saigon all over again and these images politically are going to haunt him for the next couple years 855-616-1620 what do you think we discuss
1: back to take your calls here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: 8556161620. All right, here's a text. Jeff, you can't have it both ways. You either stay or go. No, you, that that that's no offense, but that's dumb. It, it it's not a question of staying or going. It's a question of how do you arrange an orderly withdrawal? That that's that's the thing. Now, it's very clear that the Biden administration completely and totally missed the boat on the idea of, of how quickly that the Taliban would be able to take over the country. That's why what you have to do, it's not a question of staying. I I I look, I agree you can't be there forever. But what you need to do is you need to have a plan, an orderly system, for example, to get your own people out, to identify those folks who um, worked with you over the course of the last 10 or 15 years, who you know if you leave them behind, it's gonna be the subject of a death sentence. You, you know that. You need to have some orderly sort of thing. If we're going to, there's images right now of, of U.S. military troops. It's exactly like it's the Marines at the U.S. Embassy in 1975 burning all the confidential documents so they don't fall into enemy hands. They're doing the same thing today except they're destroying hard drives. Well, you should never let a situation like that happen. You should keep the military presence there long enough to, to get that orderly withdrawal that, that's going instead of this rushed stuff and and that's that's the situation by bailing immediately you have created at least my opinion this crisis let's start with jane and elkhorn jane you're first good afternoon hi hi um
0: i guess i i kind of look at it too like you said earlier with vietnam when you were talking about getting people out i worked with somebody who is He was Hmong, and he actually came from Vietnam, and uh, his dad and I believe his grandfather were were killed because they tried helping the U.S., and then we just left. But um, I I agree with what you're saying. I also think, I mean, unfortunately to me, when you look at the Middle East and you have all those terrorist cells, I don't see anybody leaving there for a long period of time if you want to try and, you know, stop those
2: terrorist organizations it, it's um, no it, it's what well, jane it, it i mean it it's a mess and it, it's destabilized yeah. this area pakistan is worried because you know you know that oh, yeah. the taliban is going to be staging there china is not thrilled with this it's just it, it's a mess hey, hey thanks to call i have a text here that 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 makes a very good point. I am not arguing, and I have never argued that we should be there forever. That's why when I started my remarks, I I think we had a missed opportunity early in the Bush administration, because we had incredible military success. We had pretty much destroyed Al-Qaeda. We had routed the Taliban. That was the time years ago to, you know, negotiate some sort of of overall peace deal when the Taliban was not as powerful. Well, instead, you know, we've dragging this on for 20 years, and uh, effectively, you know, they've been able to regroup and build their insurgency. So th- there's a lot of blame to go around. Obama dramatically escalated this, and then Trump and now Biden have decided to pull us out without having any sort of exit strategy. I mean, here's one of my textures that makes a good point. Jeff, you have to leave a force to cover your retreat a- and out and support the Afghan Ar- um, army. Abandoned. They just gave up um you know they, and and that's exactly it if you're going to to stage a retreat all right and let's let's be honest that's what this was you you do it in a measured sort of fashion you say okay we're going to have enough of a presence till we get all our people out and then unfortunately what happens is going to happen but we we didn't do that and it's because Biden badly miscalculated. I mean, we've got him on tape a month ago saying, "Well, I, I think Afghanistan. I think the the government's going to be able to sustain this. The Taliban isn't isn't El, uh, the Taliban isn't the North Vietnamese army. He, it, it, he's wrong. The Taliban was able to rout Afghanistan faster than the North Vietnamese army was able to take Saigon. I mean, it's just a bad miscalculation, and there's a lot of blame to go around." But it was very clear, I think, if you want to pull out, to come out and say, okay, we're going to be done by September 15th or whatever. I mean, all you did was give this clear target to say, okay, we're gone. Here, you just keep advancing, and you keep advancing, and you keep advancing. 855 Chuck on the south side. Chuck, you're on WTMJ.
1: Uh, Jeff, just when I was
3: talking to a person there, I, I do agree with the 12, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I, I'm kind of mad. Of what they're trying to explain we spent and they've been talking about it we spent billions and billions of dollars to train these people yep. to take care of their country and they laid they actually laid their guns down and surrendered just like vietnam
2: just like vietnam but they've but they laid their guns down just like vietnam. to protect that yeah just just no thanks well, just, for, no you're right just like vietnam i mean right you, you, there were you know we, we supplied all these arms to the afghan army quote unquote army and, and yes they, they they laid the guns down and and they ran now I think part of this uh, again big miscalculation that goes back over the course of the last 20 years failing to appreciate that Afghanistan is it is it a country on the map y- yes it is but again it's it's a country that's composed of various tribes that are, are scattered across the country without any sort of And without any sort of national cohesiveness, and in many cases, and this is a failure of the U.S. government going back, again, two decades, you know, we picked winners and losers. Okay, we're going to support this warlord, and we're not going to support the other warlord. And I'm not sure we were on the right side for any of that. So, I mean, look, there's a lot of blame to go around here. Again, I believe that the chance to to make peace was, was 18, 19 years ago. Actually, the chance to resolve this was a lot further than that. It was after the Russians got beaten in Afghanistan. But but to, to do what we did and just set a date certain and bail, I think if this was inevitable, you might be right for people who won't argue this. But at the same time, it did not happen to have, have this happen this fast. It did not have to happen with the humanitarian cr- overtones, the crises overtones that this is going to have. All right, we're going to continue this for one more segment. Your thoughts, 855 That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Stick around.
4: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
0: The Taliban is not the North Vietnamese army they're not they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan
2: well, that was Joe Biden on July eighth. Today is August sixteenth. That particular comment did not age well. I, and again, I, if I sound frustrated, it's, it's it's because I am. You know, we 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 lost a couple thousand American lives in Afghanistan. I know there's a number of you, maybe you might listen to me right now, who, who served in Afghanistan. What's going on now is incredibly frustrating. We've spent you know billions of dollars I- in this, and and it's been a cluster bumble from, from the beginning. I, just again, a brief history. If, if you really, if you're looking for a movie, go stream Charlie Wilson's War because the time, actually the time to, for the U.S. to really have been involved was in, in 1993 after the U.S. had, had armed a number of Afghan these little these different warlords ha- had armed them they had used them to defeat the the Russians the Russians leave in in defeat and that was the time because the country is dev- was devastated from years and years of war for for just a, a few dollars a few pennies on the dollar we could have gone in we could have built roads we could have built schools we could have tried to unite the country but we lost interest in in, in doing that and and that was that was George Bush that was Bill Clinton. There was no will to do this. And when we pull out, what we did is we left this huge vacuum in this country that's essentially in the Stone Age. The Taliban moves in. They support al-Qaeda. And then you have again, indirectly, at least the the attacks on September 11th. Well, then what happens is we so late 2001, we go into Afghanistan. We route the Taliban. We pretty much destroy al-Qaeda. Well, that was an opportunity again to try to arrange some sort of, of of peace deal with the taliban and and try to integrate them into you know afghan society as a political force but no we, we didn't do that we lost interest we went into iraq and the result of that is the taliban then was growing you know grew in power over the years as an insurgent force and and you know like i said before you, you've had one mistake after another it was a mistake by president bush not to, again, negotiate a resolution from a position of power. Barack Obama dramatically escalated the involvement. Trump wanted to get out, which was the right instinct, but he didn't know how to do it. He cut a bad peace deal. And then Biden just completely throws up his arms and decides to bail with no exit strategy at all. And, and yes... Yes, Mr. President, th- this—what is going on today—is exactly what happened in Saigon in 1975. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to uh, Paul in Montello. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hey,
4: where's the
3: rest of the world?
2: Yeah. Well,
3: why? Why is it? Why is it just the U.S.? Why is it our burden? First- We've screwed this up. We've totally screwed this up, and it's a shame, and the media is just going to make this all political, all political, but uh, was there a United Nations meeting today, too? What became of that? I, I just wonder where the rest of the world is.
2: Well, right. The, I mean, the, thanks, for the call. The, the re to, to answer your question, the, the rest of the world was never as invested in this as as the U.S. was. Um There were when the the, the Trump deal was negotiated. I, I want to say there were about seven thousand UN security NATO NATO security forces that were in the area, and, and those, those those troops are long gone, or at least I think most of them are long gone. That's kind of my understanding of this. So, I, I mean, it's 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 been a a worldwide failure as well. And I want to be real clear here because a couple of people are texting me saying, Well, what would you do? I, I, look, I, I don't, as, again, I, I've tried to identify the mistakes we made in the past and the opportunities. As far as getting us out, to me, the the insanity of this was setting this, this date certain without regard to how we can get our assets out. And, and by assets, I mean the people that we've gotta get out. There should have been some sort of organized plan and you don't necessarily go on TV and say, okay, by September 15th, we're gonna all be gone because that is like waving the red flag and the red cape in front of the bull. And, and then they, they know, well, okay, here we can start advancing. We can start taking over areas of this country because we know the US has already committed. They're They're out of here, they're gone we should have done it in a more orderly fashion could we have stopped afghanistan the government from from falling No, but we could have certainly delayed it enough to allow, uh, again, an orderly withdrawal. Look, there's going to be a huge humanitarian crisis, and and it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the countries in the surrounding area as you have all the refugees, the millions of people who are going to be trying to get out of Afghanistan and where they're going to be going and what that means for Pakistan and what it means for Turkey and what it means from some other countries in the region. Let's talk to uh, Dave in West Bend. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon hi Jeff hi Dave
3: Uh, my brother served there in an overlap between Obama and Trump and he predicted this way back then because the military when he was serving there the Afghans were so dependent on us for everything for leadership for the military for the food for the water for security for everything that there was no leadership of them to plan to take over. They were so dependent on us that when we pull away, there's yeah. now that gap again of who's going to lead us. And there isn't any.
2: Yeah. No. The, uh, so what what did I, I don't know if you ever talked about this with your brother? I mean, what did what 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 was the answer? Should, should we have been out of there sooner? Should we have never escalated under Obama? I mean, what 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 was the answer? What is the answer?
3: Well, he didn't He yeah. didn't really have a direct answer. It was more the frustration yeah. of the leadership not planning to when we were going to leave. It was like, we're going to be here forever, so just yeah. plan on us to do everything. And there was no leadership in Afghanistan and the people to fight back. Yeah. Now, I know Charlie Wilson's War, the movie, it's one of my favorites. We weren't there. They were doing this on their own to right. fight. This time we're there doing the fighting and they're going, you know, well, OK, you lead us. We'll follow you. We'll follow. We'll follow. Right. Now we're gone. And they go, who do we follow?
2: Right. Right. And they, I mean, thanks. For, and, and I guess the the, the other thing, the, the other thing that is is different about Afghanistan than, say, than, say, Britain in World War Two, the, the, you know, the United Kingdom in World War Two is the fact that Afghanistan is as I was saying earlier, it's a country on the map. I understand that. But it's not... It's not a country in reality, in that it's it's made up of of all these different tribes that that control different areas. And if you watch Charlie Wilson's War, you get the idea. They're they're talking about these different tribes that have been fighting with each other for a hundred years. And in some cases, you have you have people who you know are born in a village and and they never really get outside that village for their entire life. It's a different sort of situation, which I, I think is one of the reasons why it's, it's not like, okay, you know, if you've got the Germans that are trying to invade Great Britain, if they could have somehow gotten across the channel, you, you have the English people that are a, a cohesive country that are united to fight for their country. In the case of Afghanistan, it's all these different local warlords who are fighting against each other. And, and the U.S. made a lot of mistakes. Look, this, this isn't all on Biden. And that's why I've been trying to be fair in my commentary about this. But, but the way Biden went about it, and I guess the the failure to appreciate that the Afghanistan government was as weak as it was. I mean, that's I mean, head should roll. I, I mean, I, I have to assume that when Biden was talking and I played those clips in, in early July and he said, OK, the government can sustain itself and we believe it can fight, etc. I have to assume that he's got people in the Pentagon. And he's got security advisors that are telling him that. Well, I mean, how, how can you be this wrong. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But how, how can you be this wrong? And, and who's, who's gonna lose their, their jobs? Because again, maybe if, if he had been advised accurately about the precarious state of things, you would have had a, a different drawdown plan. And, and I, look, I agree you can't stay there forever, but you have to have a plan that's going to allow you to draw, to remove people, remove your assets in, in something other than chaos. You've got people, they're, fa- they're falling off of airplanes. That's the image today. They're falling off of airplanes, you know, from a 1,000 feet in the air. At least when we were evacuating Saigon, the images are people falling off the, the skids of helicopters into the South China Sea. But but they're not dying. Well, there's going to be a lot more people that, that are dying as a result of, of this. Okay, let's talk to uh, Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, good afternoon. Um,
4: good afternoon, Jeff. Um, thanks for taking my phone sure. call. Um no, um, number one on this topic, like I said, I, I still don't understand why they abandoned Bagram Air, Air Base so early. Whatever, they should have held on to that one. Number two, everybody out refers to, to Saigon, Sa- Saigon in 75, whatever, but also the other applicable example of this is Tehran in, in 1979 when we, when we evacuated that yeah. embassy. Um, whatever, Num- um, number three, I mean, again, again, I mean, I feel that what's going on right now Regardless of how we have, how we evacuated or, or left left Afghanistan was going to happen because the images because there's always going to be people who don't make the cut whatever that was what happened in Saigon and there, there's whatever and they're going to be doing whatever they can to get out to get out of the country what like I said hanging on helicopters hit, climbing in wheel wells of 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 airplanes so on and so forth I mean do I give Biden credit whatever for making for finally making a tough decision and getting us out of there. Yes, could it have been planned better? Yes, but at least we're at least we're at least we're finally out of there or whatever and the, and the Afghanis can, can can live can can go on now. And and dad like 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 what Dave said, I mean, I was like I said I mean, I've known people that that served in Afghanistan whatever and they all said basically the exact same thing that as soon as the US evacuates that country mm-hmm. That 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 Afghani army was just, was just going to fall apart because there was no there was no um, spine in them to fight unless the U.S. was backing them was backing them up with air power.
2: Well, it's gotten that, and that's obviously true. Just just like the South Vietnamese army in '75, where I disagree with you would where I disagree with you is if if you had a systematic orderly withdrawal. And you're right, there's always going to be some people left behind. But if you would have said, okay, look, we're going to do this. We are going to start this process. We're going to clear out the U.S. embassy. We're we're going to start this process, and we're going to keep American air power around here, and and we're going to stop the Taliban for taking over the country to give us six months or eight months or whatever. We're not going to set a date. So the, setting a date never made any sense to me at, at all because, again, that that's telling the enemy when you're going to be gone. And then you at least have time to do some sort of orderly transfer as far – because right now – there, there's still a bunch of people out there that, including a lot of our assets, I, I mean, a lot of Americans and stuff, we had to send, what, another 5,000 troops in there, uh, last week, at the end of last week, to get our assets out of there. You know, the people that, that, you know, the, the Americans that were still left over. You know, we, we could have and should have done this in a more measured sort of fashion. And I think part of it, again, is because President Biden badly mischaracterized or badly misunderstood, you know, how strong the government was over there, which, again, raises this question about how can the intelligence be so incredibly off? Um It, it is history does, in fact, repeat itself. Look, I don't know what happens. I mean, in, in Afghanistan, moving forward, a lot of people say, OK, this is going to lead to another nine eleven because, again, it's going to be a terrorist haven. I don't know. It's, it's a whole bunch of missed opportunities that go back 20, 30, 40 years. And that is an unfortunate sort of thing. I, I don't know. I'm not sure that you're going to see we're smarter now when it comes to domestic security than we were, you know, on on September 11th, 2001. So I'm not sure I buy into this. Well, automatically, this is going to, you know, put the the world or at least put the U.S. more in danger. But I will tell you this. It's destabilized the region. And I don't know where you go from here. And, And China's not happy. Pakistan's not happy. Russia might be the only people that are really happy out of this whole mess. Back with more in just a minute.
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs)
2: Is the late great John Prine from his record? uh, I think it's "Bruised Orange." uh, Oh, "Pink Cadillac" is the record, and it's a song called "Saigon." Just coming coming to mind by what's going on today. Because yes, this this is a repeat of 1975, and and lots of lots of blame to go around. There's no question about it. I think you look at missed opportunities, and two of them, I I attribute them to first President Bush and to Bill Clinton, who lost an opportunity to try to really have a positive U.S. presence in Afghanistan after Russia left in 1993, and just we we bailed on it. And then in, in 2001, after September 11th, military forces go into Afghanistan, rout the U.S. military, rout the Taliban, pretty much uh, destroy al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And if we were going to try to negotiate, that was the opportunity to do it because the, the Taliban was effectively, at that point in time, eliminated as a major force, that's when you negotiate the peace and try to integrate them into the, the political structure. But we took the IRI off the ball and we invaded Iraq. And I understand that hindsight is twenty twenty, 20 but we, we've missed opportunities in Afghanistan for the last 30 or 40 years, and if we were going to get out, which I don't have an issue with, there were so many better ways that we could have done it as opposed to what's going on today. Um, Our newest summer event is the WTMJ Classic from the club at Loch LaBelle in Oconomowoc. Our WTMJ team is hitting the golf course for a day of food, fun, and networking. Join us tomorrow during the WTMJ Classic's live broadcast for an online auction benefiting Rogers Behavioral Health Foundation, a Wisconsin nonprofit providing life saving mental health treatment. Text the word golf, G O L F to see the items now. It's the WTMJ Classic, hosted by the Club at Loch Labelle, sponsored by Imperial Service Systems, Pella Windows and Doors at Wisconsin, Griffin Automotive Group, and Gruber Law Offices. Okay, if I sounded frustrated in the last hour about Afghanistan, wait till you hear what's coming next. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth
1: Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. One final thought of Afghanistan for today. Uh, About 2.45 today, President Biden is going to come back from his vacation and talk about the debacle in Afghanistan. Now, during the last hour, I, I tried my best to be fair. In my assessment of all the different mistakes that the U.S. has made over the years. And there's a lot of blame to go around the Bush administration, the, the first George Bush administration, the Clinton administration, the second George Bush administration, the Obama administration, the Trump administration and the Biden administration. There, there's, there's a lot of blame to go around. When, when Biden speaks to the country this afternoon, though, if I mean, you're already seeing this, he, he's he's. Trying to blame trump well trump trump cut this bad deal i'm I'm stuck with this bad deal with my predecessor you You cannot allow that to. You you can't he cannot be allowed to get away with that because the truth is you know Joe Biden has been wanting to get out of Afghanistan since he was vice president he fought this battle uh, with Obama and and he ended up losing he he's been very clear he wanted to get out of this and as far the the deal that the Trump cut yeah I I think it was a bad deal Joe Biden has spent the last eight months. Uh, the last eight months since he took over as president, unraveling all sorts of things that Donald Trump did as president that he didn't like. So if, if Joe Biden wanted to restructure our withdrawal and do it in a more orderly fashion or a fashion designed more to secure the country, he, he could have done it. So th- this idea, if he comes out today and, and blames this situation on Donald Trump, you got to call BS on that. Because, again, am not saying that Trump was perfect when he handled this, but, but Joe Biden wanted this. Joe Biden wanted this on an accelerated basis. And if you listen to the soundbite clips we played last hour, Joe Biden, he, he apparently had no clue that this was going to happen. So the truth is he owns what's going on today. You can't let him shift the blame to other people, even though... There's all sorts of other presidents that I think have handled Afghanistan wrong, going back to the first President Bush. Just saying. All right. Couldn't start out the program like this because I understand on this topic because I understand I'm just so incredibly frustrated. Let me let me kind of back into this. I grew up here, went to Nicolay High School. I've lived here for. My my entire life, um, we moved here when I was ten years old, and aside from going away from college for a couple years, that this is home. So I, I grew up in Glendale, and I. I have friends all over the city. And I can remember as a kid that if you wanted to travel around this area, southeastern Wisconsin, and particularly Milwaukee, there were all sorts of ways. Let's say you you want to go visit a friend in Brookfield or something like that, and and you live in Glendale. There were all sorts of ways that you could go. You'd get on the freeway and and go around. Or there's lots of major east-west streets. You could get on... I don't know, North Avenue, or you could get on Capitol Drive, or you could get on Hampton Avenue, or you could get on Silver Spring, or you could get on Good Hope, and you you could drive just different routes that that were open. And while some of those routes took you through maybe some sketchy neighborhoods or something like that, in general, it it was a relatively safe sort of thing. I'm here to tell you, some... One other thought. Yesterday, I was with a, a friend of mine. We were playing golf, and, and I, I, he, he said, I'm just kind of curious, Jeff. What's, I, I don't follow the stuff as much as you do. What, you know, what's going on with Milwaukee? I mean, is it on the uptick or not? And I said, well, I mean, there, there's some really positive things. There's downtown development in Milwaukee, and it's, you, you've got you know, FISER Forum and the, and the Deer District and stuff, and that's a real positive. I said, but after you get out of that downtown area, it's, I said, it's just a crap show. I mean, you've got crime that is out of control, you've got car thefts that are out of control, and it's just not safe to drive on city streets. Now, the story I had in mind was the story that happened last Sunday, not yesterday, but last Sunday, August 8th, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 60th and Hampton. And if, you, if you're if you familiar with the area, 60, Hampton, like I say, Major East West Street, about four o'clock in the afternoon, there's two 22-year-old men who are killed in a car crash, not because they are doing anything wrong at all. They are just in an intersection when you have two guys who are involved in a drag race. Down Hampton Avenue, blowing through red lights at speeds exceeding 120 miles an hour. Not at 4:15 in the morning. Not that that would make it right, but at 4:15 on a Sunday afternoon. And these two poor guys—they're they're, just—they're in the car. They're in their intersection, and they get—they have the right of way. They get slammed into by one of these drag racing maniacs, who they estimate at the time of the collision was going probably 102 miles an hour which means they saw their car, tried to break. Well, when you're going 120 miles an hour, it takes you a while to do it. These two 22-year-old men who did nothing other than be in the wrong place at the wrong time, that is on 60th and Hampton on the mean streets of Milwaukee, and they're dead. And again, unfortunately, what happens in these situations is it, it's always the innocent people that end up dying. The the, the guy that was driving the one car um, he 's taken to the hospital with minor injuries, and presumably he will, if there is any justice, spend the rest of his life in prison for killing these two men. The other guy um in the other racing car loses control, slams into a parked car, gets up, runs away and and they 've i think they 've caught him and he 'll be charged as well but Here you have people who all they are is they're driving. They're on 60th and Hampton, and it is unsafe in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee to be on the streets at four o'clock in the afternoon. Well, that was last Sunday, and that was the image I had in mind when I was talking to the the guy I was playing golf with yesterday. Well, little did I know what would happen later on. If there is another, I mean, if if Hampton is one of the major east-west streets, I think you can argue that Silver Spring is, is perhaps even more of a thoroughfare. Picture the image of Seventy Sixth and Silver Spring, and again, if you if you spend any time around here, you you can you can picture that intersection. I, I see the, I can visualize the off ramps. That was a route growing up in Glendale, going west on Silver Spring or east on Silver Spring to come home was one of the regular, quick ways that we could get to where I, I grew up. So seven ten yesterday evening, not seven ten in the morning, not four ten, seven ten. In the evening, Sunday night, last night, two people killed a 66 year old Milwaukee man and a 20 year one year old Milwaukee woman. They have not identified; they haven't identified the people, so I I don't know what the deal is. I I don't know if these are relatives, like a father daughter or a father granddaughter. Or whatever. I I don't know what the deal is because they haven't identified them, but they they died on the scene. So what what happened? Well, 76th and West Silver Spring, they had the right of way and they were killed by two drag racing vehicles. This is what the police say. Two vehicles were drag racing down Silver Spring, disregarding traffic signals, blowing red lights. Now, they don't, they don't give yet the the speed that these cars were going. But again, my, my guess is, it probably in excess of 100 miles an hour. Um The two vehicles were drag racing, disregarding traffic signals, and one of the racing vehicles struck the victim's auto, killing both occupants. And again, as happens, the driver of the car that killed the two people, well, he's in custody. He's treated for minor injuries. Minor injuries. You kill two people and you walk away. The second drag racing vehicle, the car, apparently the, the driver got away, and at least as of the last time I checked, he's still on the lam. They're, they're, they're looking for him. So you've got another two people that are dead on the roadways, not because they did anything, but simply because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time where you had these two people that were, were drag racing. Now, I don't know what the ages of these two are. The, the ones from last week, 37 and 30 years old. So it's not... It's not just kids. You mean, you have that happen a lot, too, kids in stolen vehicles. But apparently, th- this is the latest thing on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Let's, let's see if we can drag race at 7 o'clock in the evening down a busy street. And, and and it happens over and over and over again. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I am just beyond frustrated with this. Because when I see these stories, all I could think of is, is that could have been me, it could have been my wife, it could have been, you know, her kids, it could have been our grandkids, it could have been my friends, it could have been your spouse, it could have been your kids. I mean, it, it's it's 76th in Silver Spring, and it's unsafe to be on that street at 7 o'clock in the evening on, on a nice August night. It's flat out unsafe, just like it's unsafe to be on 60th and Hampton at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Because reckless driving the speeding the no concern about consequences is so out of control that you have these bad guys that are there that they just they have no concern at all no thought about anybody else they're just do it and and these are only the stories we hear about my guess is you have drag races like this that go on on multiple occasions, on a daily basis in Milwaukee. And the only reason it makes the news is because they've hit and uh, killed people, four people dead in the last week as a result of this. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I think... We, we have to say enough is enough. And you can put up all the billboards you want that say don't drive recklessly and don't speed and don't drag race at 120 miles an hour. But but to me, that's not the answer. To me, the answer, and this is a law enforcement answer, we've got to recognize that people driving like maniacs in automobiles need to be stopped. They need to be stopped before. They kill people because they're killing too damn many people around. And that means when you catch people driving recklessly, you've got to take the cars. You've got to take their licenses. You've got to prosecute them. And you've got to be willing to put them in jail because otherwise people are going to die. 855-616-1620.
1: This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
2: I gotta tell you, a long time ago, I decided I, I wasn't going to use Hampton Avenue anymore as a, as an east-west street. I just, I've come to the conclusion I don't think it's safe to drive on. And now Silver Spring, you know, 76th and Silver Spring, four o'clock in the, seven o'clock in the evening last night, you know, two people, 61-year-old man, 22-year-old woman, killed, you know, when their car is hit by somebody, Driving in a drag race, and my guess is it's going to turn out to be over 100 miles an hour. This is four people who've died in the last week as victims of drag racers. And this, this is, let's face it, this is just the tip of the iceberg. How many people have to die before we realize that we got to get serious about this stuff? And it starts with arresting reckless drivers, prosecuting them, taking their cars, and, yes, putting them in prisons. And if that means we got to build more prisons, then let's build more prisons. How many more people have to die before we get the message that this is a big deal? Steve in Elkhorn. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how you doing? Hi, Steve. Good. What do you think?
3: Well, I travel I travel around the, the different streets in Milwaukee on a regular basis, and I see these cars that are supposedly drag racing, and I don't believe it's drag racing. I think it's being painted as drag racing to to, to cover up what I think are other illegal activities. I, I believe these are people chasing each other. I believe these are people that are – I mean, you don't drag race in a Nissan Altima or a Hyundai or a Kia. I think these are just reckless drivers that are – just doing whatever they want and and potentially are involved in other criminal activities
2: yeah like stole i mean a lot of times it's stolen cars you're exactly right it's kids who've stolen and and the the situation i don't know about the two yesterday the the one a week ago they weren't kids it was 37 to 30 years old you're right but it's kids it's people driving stolen cars they're they're let's see how fast we can go with this stuff no concern at all about anybody else and and and, or or running from the cops because they're selling dope out of the cars or whatever yeah you 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 might be right It, it might be a a lot bigger problem than drag racing doesn't make me feel better but you might be right <laughs>
3: I think it just paints a different picture to cover the reality.
2: Um yeah, no, thanks, thanks for, well, I mean it's it's clearly out of control and and it affects the livability of a community. And that's why I say yesterday, like I say, somebody said, Well what, what about Milwaukee? And so well, it depends. You know, like I said, there's a renaissance going on downtown, but you almost get the idea that we've just completely given up everywhere but downtown and said, Okay, it it's it's just going to become a hellhole and you know, you take your own life into your hands and, and that's Look, that that's why this stuff really catches my attention. 7.10 in the afternoon on 76th and Silver Spring. I mean, seriously, think about all the times, if you've lived here for any length of time, where you probably driven on 76th and Silver Spring. If you were there a little bit after 7 o'clock, you would be dead. You would be dead. Jeff, um, in a bit of irony, here's a text, as a bit of irony, as I listened to your last conversation, someone ran a red light right in front of me. I had to break hard to avoid them. Yeah, I, I mean, and we can all, and matter of fact, when I mean, we've done this topic before, you know, people tell those, those stories uh, about, you know, they they, they tell this we tell the stories about all that. We we all see the the reckless driving. The other day, I was on the freeway, and and I'm I'm driving. I don't know what whatever the freeway speed is, probably about plus six or seven miles an hour. And you see these two cars that are weaving in and out of traffic, and they're coming up behind me like respective bats out of hell. And and it's these two guys, and I well I shouldn't say guys. Don't know because one of the cars had tinted windows, one didn't have a license plate. But but they both pass me. I'm in the center lane. They pass me, probably going a hundred miles an hour. And it's again whether it's drag racing or or whatever the motivation is, it's just. Incredibly frustrating that this is happening, um, Jeff. Um, this is another reason I never traveled north of Walker's Point. Well, you know, you you hate to say that sort of stuff, but but this is this is the case. I mean, this is the case, and the mayor doesn't want to hear it. And the older people don't want to hear it. But at some point in time, we need to have a little bit more than some of this lip service. There needs to be a commitment. It's got to start with the Fire and Police Commission directing the police chief. We're really serious about cracking down on on, on reckless driving. They need to arrest the people. We need to seize the cars. We need to then have the DA's office prosecute the people that are driving in a reckless fashion. And we need the judges to start putting people in prison. Wake up. You know, if somebody's driving 95 miles an hour, blowing through red lights, it is inevitable that sooner or later, they're gonna kill somebody. And when I talked about this a week or two ago, somebody called up and said, well, Jeff, they just haven't killed the right person yet. And, and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, if this were, if, if this were, I don't know, family members of judges or family members of the politicians that were dying, maybe there'd be a different reaction. Well, I hope that's not the case. But but people got to stop this. We've got to stop people from dying on the roadways. That's not too much to ask, and it's happening at record paces. And to me, it's a prosecution solution. That's how you have to start. And maybe if you put enough people in prison and you take enough cars and you really get serious about it, well, maybe then you'll get the message across. Because I'm going to tell you, putting up billboards that say don't drive 95 miles an hour or drag race on Silver Spring, that ain't doing the job right now. Wake up before this community becomes completely and totally unlivable for decent law-abiding people. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The newest summer event is the WTMJ Classic from the club at Lock, LaBelle, and Oconomowoc. Our WTMJ team is hitting the golf course for a day of food, fun, and networking. Join us tomorrow. Matter of fact, that's where... I come back from State Fair, and they're sending me out there. We'll be doing uh, the programs from our mobile broadcast facilities. Join us tomorrow during the WTMJ Classic live broadcast for an online auction benefiting Rogers Behavioral Health Foundation, a Wisconsin nonprofit providing life-saving mental health treatment. Text the word GOLF to see the items now. It's the WTMJ Classic hosted by The Club at Lock Label, sponsored by Culligan Water, Walkershaw. Sit means Sit Dog Training, Professional Construction, Inc., and Transportation Services in Brookfield. Speaking about Oconomowoc, will be tomorrow. Um, it, it's, it's a mess. The uh, breaking news story out of there is that um, three members of the Oconomowoc School Board have resigned, effective immediately. They did that this morning after disagreements with other board members and the interim superintendent. Um, the three that left, one had been the subject of a recall effort Um, They they tried to recall unsuccessfully three members of the school board last year, one one was unsuccessful. One that was the subject of the recall ended up losing in the April election. And, and the, the big battle in Oconomowoc, like in so many areas, is, you know, what what you do with reopening schools. I think the, I, there, there's incredible pressure. I think parents are frustrated with this idea that, you know, we're, we're not going to have the schools open and things like that. And you're, they're, they don't believe that the school board is responsive. I know there's a recall effort going on in, in um Mequon as well, that has another week or so, and I, I, I'm i being told by people who are behind it that they think that they're going to get enough signatures to, f- to at least start the recall process there. I'm not a big believer in recalls, and, and I felt that way a- unless there, unless there is either malfeasance or or misfeasance. Look, 20 years ago, I remember the the Milwaukee County pension scandal, and the recall effort that caused the then-county executive, Tom Amit to, to ultimately resign because he knew he was going to be recalled and cost the, a number of county supervisors their jobs. But that was because of, I, again, either misfeasance or malfeasance, in my opinion, this Milwaukee County pension scandal and, the, and these payoffs to <clears throat> county employees, including some of the members of the board, um, which, which had the potential to make them rich beyond dreams of avarice. That, I thought, was appropriate for for a recall. Policy matters to me are, are different, and that's why I, I oppose the, um, Effort to recall Scott Walker after you know the Act 10 thing because you know elections have consequences. It's like I say, a lot of people are very frustrated at some of the things that Joe Biden's doing. Well, okay, Joe Biden won the election. Yeah, he he did, and he, he won the election. And and some people are frustrated by the way Tony Evers has operated state government since he won. Yeah, that that's it. Elections have consequences, and that's why you know the next time it comes around, if you're unhappy with what's going on, well, what you want to do is find a candidate support the candidate, and, and vote the quote-unquote bum out that, that that's in office. So I'm not, a- absent again, misfeasance or malfeasance, I'm not a huge fan of recalls. But you're starting to see this with these school boards because there is a perception in the community that members of the school board are not responsive to the community when it comes to you know issues with regard to getting the kids back in classroom and the circumstances under which those kids get back in classroom and and it varies from community to community but um it, it's it's a, it's an interesting time now for school boards and the the truth is members of school boards who do not listen to their constituents and think they know better than their constituents well they they they're, they're, they're going to get heat there's no question about it and like i say three members of the connemowoc school board um, they decided to step down today as a result of this okay here, here, here's the story we, we were just talking about reckless driving and i, I want to be consistent here i i believe we need to crack down on this I, i've been saying this i think we need to give the cops resources but it's, it's not just giving the cops resources you, you need you need judges to grow a spine. You need the district attorney's office to grow a spine and make commitments to putting people in jail when they engage in this sort of reckless behavior. And hopefully, if if we get them when they're driving 100 miles an hour before they hit and kill somebody, maybe they won't have a chance to do it again. So I, I'm I'm death on reckless driving. I, I just am. So here's what they did in Chicago. Now Chicago, for the longest time, has had speed cameras. And what they've done is they've had these cameras that they've posted at various intersections. And it, it would capture people running red lights. It would also capture people who were were speeding. Now, all right, what they used to do is the speed cameras used to only trigger if somebody was driving in excess of 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. So if you went through one of these intersections, and let's say it was a thirty mile an hour intersection, and you're driving forty one, it would it would or forty five or fifty, it it would it would operate, and you would get a ticket in the mail. Well, what Chicago decided to do is they said, well, here's what we're going to do: we're going to lower the limit. So for the last um, several months, the cameras have been rejiggered. So, if you drive six miles an hour over the speed limit, you will trigger the speed camera and you will get a $35 ticket in March and April. A single location west of Cicero Avenue in the northwest side Jefferson Park neighborhood resulted in more than 12,300 tickets for speeding 6 to 10 miles an hour above the 25 mile per hour park zone limit, according to the Chicago Tribune. The numbers are staggering. Since they did this, in the first two months, 300,000 citations and $11 million in fines, by lowering the speed cameras to six miles an hour or above, it'll trigger a tic- ticket. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In my opinion, let's be honest here, this has nothing to do with public safety. You know, the difference between going 31 and 25. That's not what this is. This is a tax, in my opinion, on the residents of Chicago under the guise of, here, let's try to make the roads safer. But let's tee this up. We're all frustrated with reckless driving. Should we consider doing something like that in Wisconsin? That is speed cameras. And would it be right to set them at six miles an hour over the limit? So you're driving 31 in that 25 mile an hour zone. Boom. Boom. You get yourself a ticket in the mail. What do you think? I don't think it's a good idea. We discuss.
4: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855
2: 616 That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, th- this is staggering. Before... Like Chicago set up all these speed cameras and they would only trigger at above 10 miles an hour. So, um, okay, the same two month period in 2019, March and April 2019, they issued about 20,000 tickets for people going 10 miles an hour above. When they lowered it to six miles an hour and above, they issued three hundred and twenty two thousand tickets bringing in $11.3 million to the city if violators pay all the fines, which many of them won't. But they've lowered it to six miles an hour. To me, this is clearly a revenue sort of thing. In Wisconsin, it's we don't have red light cameras. We don't have speed cameras. I've argued that I don't have a problem with, like, red light cameras. But if you're going to put up speed cameras and you're going to set them at six miles an hour over the limit, I'm sorry. There, there's there's no way I can support that. This isn't a public safety thing. This is just another tax on drivers, at least in my opinion. 855-616-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff.
4: Hey, Jeff. I think it should be considered, but the Chicago settings are too over the top. I think instead that um, it should be like 10 or 15 miles, miles over the speed limit. And then I don't like how it's just a one incident. I think it should go after more of a pattern of behavior. And have it like three or five times, and then get the ticket, and not just after once.
2: Um, well, thanks. Well, I guess, and um, thanks. For, so I guess Jeff, part of it to me also depends on on how fast you're you're going. Because look, see. I, I think that you, you've got to tie this in, and, and most police officers will tell you this. There, there's a little bit of wiggle room. If you're on the freeway and the limit is 55 and somebody's driving 60 and they're driving with the speed of traffic, you're, you're, you're not going to get a ticket because everybody's driving with the speed of traffic. If you're driving 80 miles an hour in that 50-mile-an-hour zone and you're weaving in and out, you're, you're going to get pulled over. In my opinion, you, you should get Pulled over. Now somebody texted me and said, "Well, just drive the speed limit. It's not a problem." Well, okay. How many people do that? I mean, seriously. How many of you can I see a show of hands? Would be willing to say, "Gee, I was going. I, you know, it's, it's always it's a twenty-five mile an hour zone, and I, I, always, I never go more than twenty-five miles an hour. And and again, thirty-one miles an hour." In a 25 mile an hour zone, is that really the type of thing that you need to get enforcement for? And and the bigger problem is, of course, well, you know, we're now going to collect. What are we going to do in the municipal courts? Because people come in and they contest that sort of stuff. I I think when you use traffic laws to generate revenue, it's fundamentally wrong, and that's what this is. Obviously, you want to discourage people from driving recklessly. That's what we were just talking about, and I'm a big fan of that. But but all right. I don't think anybody would seriously argue that in a typical situation, the person driving 31 miles an hour in the 25 mile an hour zone is driving recklessly. Now, admittedly, if you're driving up on the sidewalk or you're, you know, you're driving through the bike lane, it could be different circumstances. But I don't think any realistic, rational person would say, hey, you're going 31 in that 25 mile an hour zone. There's nobody around. You are driving recklessly. And most cops, I think almost all cops, unless you're in Rosendale in Wisconsin, which is, of course, you know, one of the notorious speed traps in the country most cops wouldn't pull you over for doing that now the only reason that would change is if you're trying if you're trying to raise money and that's what this is all about um 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line jeff all that money from ticket revenue and the city says it has a budget deficit Yeah, that's interesting jeff all this will will do is make people slow down for those intersections it won't respect uh, or change the rest of their driving trip maybe jeff in menominee falls jeff you're on wtmj all right
4: thanks
5: for call- taking my call jeff um yes, i agree with uh, jeff from fox lake quite a bit actually um but my point is that I drive in Milwaukee quite a bit, and I've seen a number of close calls, uh, people driving in the bike lane and, and uh, you know everything that you've said in the past. Um, and I find that it's almost necessary to keep a speed between uh, 10 and 14 miles an hour above the speed limit to stay safe, to, mm-hmm. to keep up with traffic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I agree, you either set the limit higher to like 15 and above the speed limit, or have a, uh, a couple of uh, gimmies, possibly. Yeah, um, because the cars that are doing all they uh, uh, committing all these infractions oftentimes don't have plates on them anyway, and I have I suspect that they might not be yeah. driven by the title owner in the first place.
2: Yeah, no, right. Th- thanks for right. I mean, how many cars? Use? When I get passed a lot of times by, by cars that are driving like a bat out of you know where, my my first reactions, I, I kind of look at the plates, and, and half the times there, there's no more than half the times there's no plates on them. Milwaukee Circuit Judge David Borowski joins us. Judge, good afternoon
5: afternoon jeff how are you
2: i'm good okay traffic cameras that are set to five or six miles over the speed limit should we have them in milwaukee county
5: well certainly not at that type of setting i mean that's preposterous What uh, that is jeff and you're familiar with this that that's a government type solution a certain group of people are the problem and they try to basically discipline everybody that that's like the teacher who has 30 students in her class two of them are a major problem day in and day out so she disciplines the other 28, even though they didn't do anything wrong. The problem, as you know, Jeff, isn't, and we've talked about this at least once before, at least in Milwaukee and I presume in Chicago, is an utter failure of leadership by local elected officials, by the people in those neighborhoods, to hold the small amount of people that drive recklessly on a daily basis at all right. hours of the day accountable for their actions. It's not you going 31 and a 25 right. or me going uh, 46 and a 40. We're not the problem. It's that small percentage of right. usually young adults, but sometimes older adults that do this time after time after time. It's probably currently my biggest frustration in Milwaukee County that we continue to just ignore this.
2: Well, well, right, and and a lot of times the people that are doing that have had their licenses suspended or revoked or whatever, and it's not stopping them from driving, and all we do is we give them a ticket, and maybe they pay, maybe they don't, and then they're back in the car, you know, within two hours doing the same darn thing. And you're right, if we're going to spend resources – Let's, let's concentrate on what the problem is, not the, the guy that's driving 32 in the 25-mile-an-hour zone.
5: Well, and as you know, Jeff, the people who would get cited for that, the people who would actually pay a ticket for being six or eight miles an hour over the speed limit are completely law-abiding citizens. Uh, right. Those are the people like 99% of your listeners and you and I who would be responsible and pay the ticket and said, my bad, okay, I'll give you your $100. The people that are the problem that are driving stolen cars, cars that aren't licensed, cars that aren't registered, cars that they've broken the law with previously, aren't going to pay a ticket yep. because they probably have bigger problems like a warrant out for their arrest. <laughs> right?
2: Judge, Judge oh. thank, thanks for the call. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm sorry I'm kind of up against the clock. But you're, you're right. There. That, that, that's, exa- that's why this isn't about public safety. This is using public safety under the guise to try to generate revenue. And like I say, by the way, I'm open to things like – yeah i I'm open to things like red light cameras. i mean if, if cars blow through red lights, but this this isn't this isn't a red light camera. This is here you know we're we're trying to micromanage stuff because we want to raise money. It's been successful in Chicago. This is another reason why I think the mayor of Chicago is probably going to be a one termer back with more in a couple minutes.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now
2: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. All right, Joe Biden is supposed to talk about the debacle in Afghanistan. It's scheduled for two forty-five, but we're being told it could be later. It could be sooner. <laughs> Who knows? When, whenever he does address the nation, we'll be prepared to bring it to you. First up. I, I, I've been wanting to talk to you about this all weekend, because to me, this is an example, another example of the can- cancel culture absolutely run amok and how UW-Madison really needs to get its act together. But you may disagree with me. Let me give you a brief history here. Everybody has heard about the Ku Klux Klan, racist organization um, that's designed to promote hate. There's really been like three iterations of the Ku Klux Klan. First, the Ku Klux Klan originated after the Civil War. And uh, this was like in the 1870s. And it was Southerners who were attempting to overthrow Republican state governments that had been put in during Reconstruction after the the Civil War. And the, the federal government came in and kind of shut that down. So the Ku Klux Klan disappears. In about 1915 it's resurrected again and it starts really small in in Georgia and and what this was it was like it begins then to kind of spread around the country and the way the descriptions are it's rooted in local protestant communities um it it opposed let's see it's it it was pro prohibition it um uh, believed that there was too much political power with the Pope and the Catholic Church, and it, it you know, promoted, you know, uh, again, sort of a, this, this white supremacy sort of thing. Started very small, took off later on in the 1920s, particularly in the South. But when it first came back in 1915... What happened was it was very, very small, and you had a number of, for example, college fraternities and stuff uh, across the country that, that they weren't really affiliated with the Ku Klux Klan, but they would, we would kind of take that name. Alright, so that's the background of this. That brings me to uh, the name of a very, very famous actor who maybe you remember, maybe you don't. His name is Frederick March. Frederick March was born in Racine, uh, like in 1895, went off, served in World War I, came back and went to and graduated from the University of Wisconsin at, at Madison. He went on to a very long and successful career as an actor in, in Hollywood. Um, and, and he was in movies from, I don't know, 1920 through his death. When did he die? He died, um, his last couple movies were, he died at the age of 75, but he was in, he was in movies and plays until like 1973. Some of the movies he was in that you might have seen is he was in, um, The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit and he was in, um, Inherit the Wind. He played the William Jennings Bryan character there. Uh, he did plays, The Death of a Salesman, um, very, very desperate hours with uh, Humphrey Bogart. Um, lots of lots of movies that you would have probably heard of over time. He was in the Best Years of Our Life, which won an Academy Award. Anyway, he he was a very very successful screen actor, and he graduated from the University of Wisconsin Madison. He was also very active in civil rights. He's a lefty. He was a very very progressive progressive Hollywood actor who was associated with a number of, for example, like civil rights things over the years, to give you an idea some of the things that he ended up doing. I mean, I've got a list. He was um, he was close with Martin Luther King and apparently was one of his confidants. He did a uh, Keynote speech for the NAACP in uh, 1939. He was a hand among a handful of celebrities to publicly back a woman named Marian Anderson, an opera singer who was barred from performing in Washington D.C. because she was black. Um, he again forged friendships with a long list of progressive activists, including the NAACP executive secretary Roy um, Wilkins. Um, he again he was. He was very, very active in the civil rights movement. All right, so, Jeff, why are we talking about this guy, you know, who, who's been dead for years and years, and why, why do we care about this, about Frederick March? Well, here's the deal. Um, there is a theater, or was a theater, it on the Madison campus named after Frederick March, a very, very famous graduate. It's the uh, Frederick March Play Circle. He, so it, it's named after him. Well, the... Politically correct folks at Madison have now stripped his name from the, the, the walls. They've taken it the, off the walls. And you might say, well, Jeff, why, why why would that happen? Well, as it turns out, when he was at UW-Madison in 1919, he was involved in a fraternity. And apparently some members of the fraternity, including him, Also joined a local chapter of the, the KKK. Now this wasn't officially affiliated with the real Ku Klux Klan, but he, he joined KKK. And, and nobody is really sure about, you know, they, they know it wasn't, it wasn't like the real KKK. And nobody is exactly sure exactly what the Madison chapter taught or things like that. But he was a member of this local KKK group whatever that might have been, for about a year or so when he was at UW-Madison in 1919. So he goes on, and again... Prominent civil rights activist, does all these things over the years, does all these movies. And he's got this this little theater that's named after him. Well, some of the activists here, it's now 2020, 2021, at UW-Madison are looking through history books. And they find, oh, my God, Frederick March, he was, he was involved with the KKK in 1919 when he was a student here. We now have to cancel him. A hundred years later, we have to take his name off this theater. And at UW Madison, they do it. Well, now the interesting thing is there's a huge backlash from historians who are saying this is an enormous mistake that Frederick March was a a leader in the civil rights movement. He was a civil rights advocate. Nobody exactly knows what this KKK thing that he was briefly affiliated with, other than that it's not part of the the real Ku Klux Klan. But regardless, it happened in 1919. They say, look at the body of this man's work. You know, he spent 50 years in Hollywood and, and he was a leader in the civil rights movement. How can you take his name off the wall? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry. This, to me, is another example of the cancel culture run amok. You have a guy who was a progressive, a civil rights leader, and somebody somewhere looking through some books, he was affiliated with this KKK thing. We don't really know exactly what this is, but it's the KKK. How dare we recognize him? Let's forget about all the things this guy did over the 50 years after he graduated from UW. We can't have his name up on the wall. Is that fair? 855-616-1620. My answer is no. We discuss in a moment.
4: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620.
2: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text I agree with. Jeff, it's not fair and it's not right. It's another example of a cancel culture going overboard and being grossly misinformed, just like with the Emancipation Statue. That would be the uh, Abraham Lincoln statue, I believe. Uh, they wanted that taken down because they didn't bother to learn the history of it um, and the fact that it was commissioned by former slaves. Yeah. See, th- this, is, this is the thing. You, you've got the, these activists who are again it's the it's the folks that wake up every day the politically correct and the perpetually offended looking for someone to knock this this perceived chip off their shoulder so this is the deal here we're researching this and and hey there was this this informal group called the KKK in 1919 that was on M- Madison's campus and and we don't know exactly what they did and there's there's no evidence at all to link them with uh, the bad stuff that the Ku Klux Klan you know was doing in 1930 in in the south so we don't exactly know what that group was but you know all right you got all these fraternity people who were apparently associated with them. one is Frederick March oh my gosh he was a member of the KKK and we don't know exactly what this particular KKK was, but it doesn't matter because we don't care. So what we have to do is we have to take his name off the wall. Oh, and do we know what the guy did for the majority of his life? Does it matter that he was a civil rights advocate and was an ally of Martin Luther King and, you know, worked with the NAACP? Does any of that matter? No, because you've got these historically illiterate People who are obsessed with we've got to cancel everything because, oh my gosh, I, I'm offended by this. They're historically ignorant and they just act out of this sort of like blind, unthinking, we've got to do something because it's going to make the world better without recognizing and any, without being able to contextualize anything. And the unfortunate thing is there's no grownups in Madison. That, that's that's the deal. Instead of simply being able to say, Look. There's real problems with racism in the world. And, you know, and show us examples of that and we're going to deal with it. But, you know, here... In this particular case, there's no basis for saying, you know, we can't have this guy's name up there. There's no basis for saying we have to remove the 75-ton boulder because in 1921, you had a, a newspaper article in the Wisconsin State Journal that used a, a racial slur to refer to this with no evidence that anybody else ever called it that. But now we're going to be fe- make ourselves feel better 100 years later by pulling out the boulder. We're going to make ourselves feel better 100 years later. Later, By taking this very, very famous, successful Wisconsin graduate who went on to a great and distinguished career in Hollywood and who used the fame that he had to advance the civil rights cause. But now we're going to cancel him And, and it makes some people feel better. But the bigger problem is that you have the people at UW Madison that go along with this instead of simply saying, "Okay, we're fine good, we appreciate what you said, thanks, now they'll go back and find something else to be outraged about. They give in to this, and the more you give in to this, it's not like you're ever going to satisfy the folks that are making these claims. All it does is it emboldens them to try to find something else even crazier and more bizarre to try to go after. And you wonder where that is ever going to stop, and the answer is it's not going to stop until the grown-ups Sit and say, look, we're we're not giving in to this kind of pressure, and we're not giving in to the historical ignorance that you are displaying, and yeah, it's going to continue to be the Frederick March, you know, play circle, and if you don't like it, well, then don't go to plays there, period. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around.